Oh, I love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas story. I love diving deep into it. And this year, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Christmas story and we're going to look through the eyes of particular people in the story, but look specifically at their quotes. So we want to look at what they had to say as they looked at their moment in history. So it's not just Luke writing and looking at how Luke did through the power of the Holy Spirit, let's be clear, but what did Mary have to say? That will be the person we look at today. Now, in order to understand or appreciate the moment that we're in, we need to see that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is written in in stages of time, right? That God is unfolding his plan in history. And we get to see that, we get to read that, and we we call that a certain kind of time, Cronus time, that God is successfully, successively laying out his time frame, right? And you just look at it chronologically. But there's another word that the Bible uses for time, and that is kairos. These are moments in the story where God jumps in in a special way. Thinking of of Abraham, right? God breaks into Abraham's life a kairos moment when he says, I'm going to make you the father of all nations, right? You, You read that. Or Moses at the burning bush, that's a kairos moment. Or you think of Queen Esther and and she says, if I perish, I perish. That's a kairos moment. And the Bible is full of them. And the Christmas story is a Kairos moment as well. So as we look at it, it's going to be an exciting time to see how God breaks in to the story that he's writing. But what I want you to see too, and this is really important, is that you and I have Kairos moments. These are moments in time where God is doing a dramatic work to set our lives sometimes in a whole new direction. Some of you high school students, you may be sitting in a class that you had never taken before. You never thought about what your future was gonna be like until you got in that class and you said, yes, I wanna study this more and more. I want, maybe it was a psychology class, maybe a sociology class, maybe a science class, right? And it begins to put you on a trajectory. And if you have eyes of faith, you'll see that that was a moment that God was speaking into your life to send you on a whole new path. Or you think of just going down the road and you walk into college and you get on the college path and God begins to speak into your life like he had never done before. Or you're in college and you meet your life partner and all of a sudden that partner puts you on a path. Or you think of a career choice or you think of a relocation. All of these things can be what we would call a kairos moment where God is doing something significant. It doesn't always have to be something like that. It could be something like an illness. I've heard people say they've had cancer and God used that moment when they heard about that illness to put them on a whole new path about the value, significance, meaning, and purpose of their entire life just because of an illness. Think of a crisis. You could walk through life and there could be a crisis, something that is so dramatic in your life. And if you have eyes of faith, 
you see that God is using that crisis moment to send you in a whole new direction. It's amazing what God is doing. So we see him in the Bible and we see him in our own lives. And so what we want to do is look at Mary's Kairos moment. Do you have your Bible? Would you open with me to Luke chapter 1? As you're turning there, let me just give you the question to ask. Can you see in your own life moments where God intervened and changed the path of your life? If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we'll start. Remember, we're looking at what Mary had to say about her moment in history. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble estate of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Oh, Father, as we look at the Christmas story again, let us see it with fresh eyes. Let us see it through the eyes of this beautiful young woman that you selected, you picked out, you appointed for this Kairos moment in biblical history when God would become flesh and you would change the trajectory of the world forever. God, give us eyes to see these moments in our own lives when you are doing this dramatic work to show us that you are at work in powerful ways. Oh, God, give us eyes to see your merciful work. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen, amen. You may grab a seat. Well, this is an exciting story, right? As you think about Mary, let's just draw our attention for a moment into Mary's life, right? I mean, here you have this young woman. People speculated different ages. Obviously, the the typical marrying age at that time in history was maybe 16 years old, 17. Some push it a little bit younger. And just like any young woman today, they have dreams. They have hopes. They have things that they want in life, and and Mary is no different. There's no reason to think that she's any different than any other young woman today in high school. She's dreaming and hoping and planning, and then her life gets interrupted, right? Now, in her case, an angel interrupts her life, and, and all of a sudden, we see this dramatic event take place where God says, I have selected you right? And Mary, what we want to see is not only her interaction with the angel, but what we really want to see in the passage today is what she thought about that moment. What she thought about what God was doing in her life and in the world. 
That is how significant your life is. You are here with a plan. You are here with a purpose. Not merely your own, but what God wants to do. If you can see it. Now, if you're lost, let me just make this very, very practical. People matter. Your life matters matters to God you are here with design you are here with purpose you are here with a plan and God is unfolding it right now and what he wants you to do is see what he is doing so imagine if God gives you children right or you're all in a family we're all in a family you have a mom and a dad and God uses your life your faith your perspective your direction of life to shape maybe the lives of your mom and dad maybe the lives of your grandparents or with your kids maybe if you're a parent to shape an eternal soul for an eternal destiny. That is the privilege that God gives you. If we see these moments of what God is doing, and Mary is no different. So she's got her plan, but all of a sudden God says, wait, I got a bigger plan, a more dramatic plan, a more exciting plan, and you're part of it. And that's where we pick up Mary in the story today, is that God is using her. Let's go back to the passage this morning. I want to bring us into just a few things. Notice that as Mary begins to look at what has just happened to her. Now, Luke goes out of his way to make it clear that there's not some kind of sexual perversion with God, that it's some move, miraculous move of God in Mary that she becomes pregnant and uh, without sexual intercourse so what we see then is mary looks at what's happening in her life and i want to see first of all how she talks about god she uses titles she uses names she uses descriptions to capture her perspective that she sees this is no accident in history there is someone at work and so she uses the word lord she uses the word god she uses the word savior and she uses the word mighty one. Each of those is significant as she's looking at this moment in her life. So when we look at the word Lord, she's talking about someone who's a master, someone who is over all of this. We might use the word boss. Someone is directing history. And she's looking at this God that she worships as the one who is Lord. He's the boss. He's the one directing history. Then we get to the word God. And here she's, she's looking at the one that stands over everything. So it's not just that he's directing history, but he stands over everything. Nothing happens outside of God saying yes, outside of God giving it permission, outside of God working. So she throws in this other term that she's beginning to see that what's happening in her life is something that God had promised long ago. He had said it was going to happen. Then she says, Savior, Savior. And how sweet is that? I mean, that word alone, she calls, her, calls him my Savior. She sees in her own soul a need for a God, a Lord, to deliver her from her messed up life. Now, we may not know all the messiness of her life, but can I tell you, life has always been the same since Genesis 3. It is messed up. People make bad choices. It tears apart 
families. It tears apart children from parents, parents from their children. It just destroys, sin destroys everything. And so there's this sense of God, who can deliver us from the mess that's in this world? The chaos, the confusion. You could look at it in a micro level, meaning just your own personal life. You can start looking at it in terms of the relationships. There's not one person here that doesn't have a strain, a pull, some tension in some relationship at some point. And usually at every point of our lives, there's all of this going on. And then you just start extrapolating that further into workplaces, school environments, other activities that we're involved in. And it doesn't take but a word, a thought, a confused moment. And all of a sudden, things are just pulling apart. Who can deliver us from all of this? And Mary is saying, my Savior. But she captures it in the sense of Lord and God. And then she comes back with the one mighty one, mighty one, mighty one, the one who has the power to do something about it. So she starts out as she's looking at what's just going on in her life and she starts praising God. Look what it says, my soul glorifies the Lord, magnifies the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, right? So she's praising God over all these different things. And can we just say, this is a good pattern for prayer? It's a good place to start in your life of prayer is just look upwards and say, who am I talking to? I'm talking to God the Father. I'm talking to the Mighty One. I'm talking to the Boss. I'm talking to the Master. I'm talking to the Creator, right? We need to have in mind who we're talking to. And then look what she does. She goes on and says, for He, this God that we've just described, has been mindful of my humble my humble state, right? She understands something that a lot of people in the world don't. And that's very simply this. God is God and we're not. If you get that right, you get a lot of things right. If you can understand that there is a God and He's a God over the whole universe, He's the boss. He calls the shot. He created everything. If we could get that in place, it starts putting us in this posture of humility. And then she calls herself his servant. Could we really be clear? The word behind servant there is doulos. Most of you are familiar with that. Most English translations won't translate it as slave. But essentially, anyone reading in the first century would read doulos as slave. That was its essential meaning. She saw herself connected to her God in a way of, I'm not just here signing up as a servant. I am His slave. And because of all the baggage that we have with the word slavery in our country we can't hardly even use it so we avoid it but mary saw in this perspective this kairos moment that god was god and she bowed before him in this humble posture Oh, if we could see more women like that. If we could see more men like that with this posture of humility. And then she goes on and says something so beautiful here at the end. Holy is His name. There is no one 
like this God. That's what holy means. Conjure it up, make it up. But she's saying there is no one, no thing like this God. Holy, holy, holy is his name. And so it becomes very, very powerful. And then what we begin to see is she uses twice the word mercy. Let me just bring it out here. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. This word fear is those who trust Him, those who see Him, those who honor Him. And then she comes back and talks about remembering to be merciful to Abraham. So she sees this God as merciful. So as we look at it, this Christmas story is for opening our eyes to see God. If there's anything to walk away with today, I want you to be thinking about the Christmas story. I put Christmas in quotes, not because I want to avoid the word Christmas, but because I'm talking about a Kairos moment. I'm talking about a work of God. And for those who have eyes to see, they see beyond a day. And they see a moment in history when God is moving in unprecedented ways. But let's go a little deeper into this word mercy just for a moment. The one who has mercy is in the place to help another. So God has mercy, right? He is in this lofty place to help you and to help me. Look what I wrote who is in dire need, I need a deliverer. You need a deliverer. I am powerless in my own life. Oh, I think I can control things. I think I have power to do these things. But when I get into my crisis moments, when I get to the forks in the road, when I get to the place where it's going to change everything, I realize how small I really am. And I need mercy. Just say that with your own breath right now. I need mercy. I need mercy. I need mercy. It's a good thing to say. And so God is this one that is merciful. And so as we look at this idea of mercy, let me just add two words to it. Most often when you read the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you see mercy mercy called upon in times of suffering and in times of forgiveness. Let me talk about just a couple biblical examples of suffering. Remember when David sinned against Bathsheba? He sinned, and his life just came crashing in. He needed both. He was suffering in his soul, and he was needing forgiveness. And so he calls out to the Lord in Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Or think of Jesus as he's walking the streets and he's healing people. Remember the two blind men calling out to Jesus? They were suffering in their blindness. They couldn't provide for themselves except for begging. And so they're on the side of the road. And what did they cry out? Have mercy on me. Or you think of the guy entering the temple. He wouldn't even look to heaven, but what does he cry out in his prayer? Have mercy on me. See, because when we sin, it affects our psychology. It affects our emotions. It affects 
things like shame and guilt and embarrassment, and God can deliver us. And so mercy becomes a big thing here, and that's what Mary is talking about. But I want to take us deeper into Mary's faith here. Just, just would you go with me here? If you want your faith to grow this Christmas season, there's moves of faith that become really significant. Here's the first one. Faith that sees the Bible is true. So we come to a place, we start reading the Bible, and we say, this holy book is unlike any other book. This holy book is a God directing history with purpose and meaning and significance. And something happens with your eyes of faith and you say, this book, this Bible is true. And that's what Mary saw. She saw with her eyes of faith, this story is unfolding just the way the Old Testament talked about. Well, let me hit my second point here, and that's this. Christmas opens our eyes to see God's mercy and might. It's not only that we see God and we see God at work, but now we're going to see God's mercy and His his might. Let's go back here. Look what Mary writes, or what Mary says. What Mary is thinking. What Mary is pondering. Remember that phrase, Mary pondered? They came to Jesus, or they came to see Jesus, the, the, the shepherds, and, and, and then the, the kings, they come, and Mary is pondering all these things in her heart. You know what she's doing? She's taking some time to reflect on her life to see the Kairos moment. You and I will not appreciate the moments of God's work in our life if we just don't stop long enough to say, how has God worked in this crisis? How has God worked in this illness? How has God worked in this choice when I sat in a high school classroom? How has God worked when I sat in a college situation? How, right, you just play those out. So, His mercy extends to those who fear Him, right? So we begin to see this idea of mercy and we begin to see that it's extended from generation to generation. Do you know what that means? For the last 2,000 years, God's mercy just keeps coming. It just keeps cascading down from heaven to your life, to my life, in all the various ways for people who have eyes to see. And then she goes on and says, He filled the hungry with good things. These are the people that when illness strikes, they can see that God's at work even in the midst of hard things. All of us will suffer. All of us have pain. All of us experience the brokenness of the world. And what God is telling you and me right now through this young woman Mary is God has filled the hungry. He takes care of us in these moments right now and he's saying, I'm at work, I'm doing something. And he's saying, and it's only going to get better. 
It's only going to get better till someday it all folds together into the new heaven and the new earth. So this idea of hungry isn't talking about just physical hungry. He's talking about the spiritual hunger, the appetites where we wonder what gives me meaning, what gives me purpose, what makes me happy. And ultimately it all comes back to this God who is merciful. And then she writes, and he has helped the servant Israel. He comes alongside and helps the people. So we see with this God that there is mercy. And so the other part that she brings to us is this idea of his might. And so she starts out, this one who has performed mighty deeds with his arm, he has scattered those who are proud. His mighty deeds. What did he do? He starts out, he says, I'm going to deliver you from the Egyptians. And he brings them out of slavery and brings them into the promised land. I mean, this is God that we're talking about. He's mighty to help. He brings down the rulers from their thrones. That takes a mighty work of God. He lifts up the humble. He helps and he's the one who is going to fulfill all of his promises. Why? Because he can do it. So let's go back to these ideas of faith, this deeper faith that we've been talking about. So we see here is that Mary sees God's mercy. She sees God's mercy in her own life. As we've said, her need for a deliverer, someone to protect her, someone who could guide her. She could see that she was in a predicament. She could see what people would say. She was no fool. She was no fool. Any high school student is going to see, if I show up pregnant, people are going to talk. Tongues are going to wag. People are going to say cruel and unjust things. And all you have to do is read your Bible, the New Testament, and you're going to see the cruel and harsh things that they said to Mary. And she anticipated it there. And she could see that she needed God's help. She needed God's mercy. But we want to go deeper. And that is that she could see, and there should be the word God here, faith that sees God can do it. So faith that sees that the Bible is true, faith that sees God is merciful, but it's not enough to say God is merciful. There's lots that you could say about God being merciful, but if he can't do anything about it, we're in a mess. But she sees that God can do something about it. So when we think about Christmas, we think because we need mercy. So the whole title of the series is We Need Christmas. We need Christmas because we need mercy for God's help and forgiveness. But we need something more, don't we? We need that mercy to come to us in a particular way. There's a story in the New York Times by David Brooks, and he's writing about a rabbi, Rabbi Kukla, and Rabbi Kukla is describing and working with a woman with a brain injury. And this brain injury caused her from time to time to fall onto the ground. And when people saw her fall onto the ground, what would they want to do? They would jump to help her up. But listen to what David Brooks wrote through the rabbi. 
I think people rush to help me up because they're so uncomfortable with seeing an adult lying on the floor. But what I really need is for someone to get down on the ground with me. Is that not the truth? I didn't need Jesus just to get me up. I needed Jesus to get on the ground with me in my mess, in my stuff, when I can't figure out life, when I make mistakes, when I've got attitudes, when I've got judgments, when i got all this going on. I needed a Savior who would come down and get down on the ground with me. That's the kind of mercy that we're talking about at Christmas time. Now, I asked you at the beginning, pray about your own Kairos moments. Do you see them in your life? It's going to take time to reflect on it. I want to encourage you, don't let the Christmas season by without looking at some Kairos moments in your own life. Now, how do you do that? Part of it is you got to see them in the Bible. You got to see how they're working. So Pastor Brad mentioned a few moments ago about these Advent wreaths. I want to encourage you. If you don't do an Advent wreath or you don't do an Advent book, there's lots of ways you can do it. You could do it daily from now until Christmas. You could do it one day a week and just sit and read the Christmas story. We make these available. If you can't afford it, just take it. It's that important to Fox Valley Church. If you can't afford it, just take the wreath, take the book. Journeyland has their own little thing, but it allows you to enter into the story and allows you to see a Kairos moment of God at work, and then you can take some time to look at what God is doing in your own life. And what I want to tell you is that God didn't just say, I'm going to help you. What the Christmas story is about is a God who got on the ground with you and with me. Father, what a beautiful story. What a truth. What an amazing hope you have put in our souls because Jesus got on the ground because Jesus made a difference in our lives. And so God, we pray, we pray that through this Christmas season, you would open our eyes not only to see that the Bible is true, not only to see that you're merciful, but to see that you're a God that has the power to do something about it. And the way you showed that power, you got on the ground in the form of becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Let us ponder that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.